0: This message entitled, Imagine, A Light in the Midst of Deadness, was delivered to Christ Rock Bible Church on January 21st, 2024, by the Reverend Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference is Matthew 4, 12-22. A light in the midst of deadness. A light in the midst of deadness. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for this truth that is here in these scriptures. Help us, dear God, to... Uh, see what you have in mind with these things and what you're trying to speak as we allow for your light to shine and and make it obvious make it conspicuous make it make give us a sure footing in these coming days dear God to make it down this trail to make it down this pathway dear God and not to trip or stumble or fall over or get off the the trail and end up someplace else help us dear god to uh truly let you have your way uh with us uh by shining your light into our hearts and into our spirits we thank you lord in jesus name we pray amen a light in the midst of deadness praise god Modern uh, artists have their share of critics, especially people that do a lot of impressionist-type works or, you know, like Vincent Van Gogh and all of the weird lines and so forth that he has. There's a lot of people who look at that kind of stuff and go, well, that's not art, you know, and they, they want everything to be more realistic. Well, one man who's a photographer by trade He exhibited his works alongside the works of several modern artists in his town. And that afternoon, there was a decided lull in the activity, and the artist and the photographer started talking about art. Okay? Started talking about art. Frankly, said the photographer, I don't have a lot of use for all of your modern art. I I think it's kind of all a big joke. It's realism that really counts. That's why I went into photography. and That's why people don't understand that, that uh, it's, it's crucial to be realistic and, and not just doing all kinds of strange things instead. I'd like to see some of your realism, one of the artists said uh, to him, since he had made this uh, critical mis- uh, Uh, statement and with that the photographer led the artist into his booth into his area where he had several things already set up and showed him a picture of a barn that he had painted and how uh, proud he was of it well this is amazing the artist said how did you ever how did you ever find a barn that small Okay, that's a joke. I don't know why I have to say that's a joke. But you know, why, why? <laughs> how did you ever find a barn that small? See, the photographer had been carrying out about realism and about, you know, there's the picture, there's the thing. And so they took it a step further and, and said, well, how did you ever find a barn, you know, that small? Okay? And, and look at those little teeny tiny cows, that are roaming around outside the barn, you know, in the corral. (laughs) Someone once said that children have the greatest of imaginations. They have to fill in the blanks of their knowledge somehow, and so their imaginations oftentimes go into overtime. You know, they can make up what this means and make up what that means and this thing can go this fast or this slow or it can climb up a wall or, you know, and it's a lot of it's something that they're imagining. The scripture says, and it says it repeatedly, that, there, that, that Jesus, when he comes, he's going to be like a light. Shining in the midst of the darkness. We see this all through the scriptures. In fact, hold your finger there in Matthew chapter 4 and move over to Luke. We've seen this before, so it's okay. Uh, You'll understand what I'm talking about. This is Luke chapter 1, and it's towards the end of the chapter. It's in the Song of Zecharias, okay? Remember when John the Baptist was born, Zacharias is filled with the Holy Ghost, and he prophesies, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Well, later on in his soliloquy, if I could call it that, uh, I'll pick it up at verse um, 76. Okay, verse 76. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, not talking about John the Baptist, okay? Pointing his way to Jesus, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. Seventy-seven says to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. Verse seventy-eight through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day from on high hath visited us, and then comes seventy-nine to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So it's not just darkness. So go ahead and get some LED lights and screw them in and turn the switch on and so forth and get brightness throughout this uh, Basement, or throughout this garage, or throughout uh, storage room, or whatever you're whatever you're thinking. I had thought at one time I might go ahead and see if I could put one in the in the shed, so there'd be more light in the shed. Okay, since it's not solar, I'd have to hook it up to electric. I do have a solar light that I thought, oh, that'll work great in the shed. Then all of a sudden it hit me, (laughs) but there's no solar in the shed. You know, so that's not going to work out. So I never did put a light in there. Anyway, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Take it all the way to death. It's not just dark, it's dead. Okay? Isaiah spoke of the very same thing, actually. I won't take you there. You know what I'm talking about. But what we're seeing here, we've got to take it to the whole nine yards, okay? We've got to, we've got to take it all the way through. Yes, there's a, there's a darkness, but there's also a death, okay? So go back to Matthew chapter 4, and let's take it from the top. Now, now I'm not talking about the beginning of the chapter, because you remember last week, we went ahead and looked at the uh, the very first thing that happens in the ministry of Jesus if I could call it this part, the ministry of Jesus uh, is the baptism of Jesus. And it's, it's like I said last week, everything's so positive. Everything's just so upbeat, you know, you have no Pharisees sitting off to the side going, Jesus, you can't do that. John, stop baptizing him. You can't, you know, like they did when he entered into Jerusalem, you know, Stop your followers here from from praising like this. And Jesus said, listen, if they stopped, the stones themselves would have to scream it out. All right? Well, that happened at that point, at the end of his ministry. But at the very beginning with the baptism, you have no naysayers. Like I said last week, you have no Pharisees standing around going, knock it off, Jesus. Tell them to stop. Okay? You don't have that. It's all positive all pointing to the trinity father son and holy spirit are all right there at the baptism of jesus you can't get any more positive than that really but then the very next thing you move into is the beginning of chapter four which is talking about the wilderness experience that he had he was led up now notice he wasn't led up by satan a lot of people get that confused and they get it wrong they think satan led him out to the wilderness no it didn't the holy spirit did the holy spirit jesus was led up of the spirit capital s into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and you all of a sudden you just you know you have this almost epiphany i suppose you could say you you at least think it for a moment uh, the baptism was positive but this this temptation in the wilderness this is going to be all negative It's it's trying to tear Jesus down. It's trying to ruin what he even came for. But guess what? Jesus doesn't let that happen. Amen? He doesn't let that happen. And, of course, we talked about that last week. So that's not my, it's not really my focus. Okay? But I want you to remember all that because then we move into verse 12. All right? In fact, my Bible has a heading for verse 12 and following. It says the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So, you know, just by putting the heading there instead of the baptism, you know, puts the baptism and the temptation of Jesus before the ministry gets started. Okay? Now we're going to see what happens as he starts. Okay? Chapter 4, verse 12 and following, okay? Just take it a few verses at a time here. Now, when Jesus had heard that John, referring to John the Baptist, the guy that baptized him, was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, went back up north. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtalim. That it might, now watch this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtalim by the way of the sea beyond Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles. (laughs) Phrase after phrase after phrase to make it super clear. To make it obvious. To make it conspicuous where Jesus is as he starts. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now watch this, verse 16. No, let's not look at that yet. a light that would lighten the Gentiles. You know who said that, don't you? Simeon. As he held Jesus up in the air, he said he's a light to lighten the Gentiles. He's not just for the Jews, he's for the Gentiles. In other words, it's kind of like Jesus himself said, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever, Jew, Gentile, You name it. Both sides of the aisle. He came to save everybody. All right? Not just those that want him yet. Okay? He came to save everybody. And that's why the ministry. That's why he's going to travel. That's why he's going to do miracles. That's why he's preaching. That's why he's teaching. That's why. Because there's a whole bunch of people that need him. Okay? It isn't just... A certain few like the disciples for example it's everybody they need to hear it okay all right a light that would lighten the Gentiles Simeon spoke of that the reason this passage in Matthew I think is so crucial as Jesus begins its ministry isn't just because it's speaking of a light that shines in darkness but actually it says it's a light People that sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Right there in the shadow of death. It's not just darkness. It's not enough just to not be able to see clearly. You know? We talk about this... uh, amd that you can get you know the macular degeneration and the and then it progresses into a a a greater thing that you can't even do anything about after that and part of that is that darkness and i asked about that because uh i you know i have a difficult time at night i don't drive anymore at night and you all know that and it's not that some that they've told me I can't drive and they've taken my license away or anything like that. I just know it's not safe for me to be out at night. I've already had to do it once or twice and (laughs) you got to stay on your own side of the road. But when it's dark, I can't see that too well. And so there's darkness. But it's not just darkness. When darkness brings forth deadness, then you seriously have a problem. A light in the midst of deadness, okay? And that's pretty much what it says. In verse 16, it says, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. So they weren't trying to make their way in the midst of the darkness, okay? They sat. They weren't running around or walking the trail or whatever, they sat in darkness and that's when they saw a great light. All right? And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death. There you go. The shadow of death. It's not just dark. We're talking death. All right? Light is sprung up. Light is referring to purity and holiness. And even to the point of talking about reward and happiness. It's sprung up. And the sprung in the, in the Greek refers to a setting out and going for a goal. Going for a goal. Shadow of death. Light that is sprung up in the midst of that, not just darkness, But death, it implies ignorance, error, eternal misery, sin and misery. The opposite of this death is light, the opposite of this death is illumination. Praise the Lord. Oh, I didn't bring my phone. How do I do that? No, I'm sorry. So I don't have the Tozer quote. Oh, my goodness. I wish I did. Oh, well. It happens. I got to find out how you can print from the phone something. Okay? That's what I got to find out. Because then if I print it, then I always have it. Unless I leave it on my table. (laughs) But anyway. uh, Oh, it was a good quote, too. Oh, uh, maybe you saw it when I first sent it out in the first place. Maybe you saw it in the paper or whatever, but it was a good quote. And what Tozer's talking about, though I can't prove it (laughs) because I can't read it, okay, Uh, is the opposite of deadness. Okay, the opposite of deadness. It's holiness, it's purity, and it is this that lights the way and consequently rewards and gives supreme happiness. It's all part of the definition. Verse 16 told us we must first of all sit. And I think that's crucial. It says, which sat in darkness... You just can't be running all over the place. You can't just busy, 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 here, there, everywhere. You need to sit in order to see the great light. In order to contemplate it. In order to understand it. This darkness, it spiritually uh, speaks of implying ignorance. As I mentioned earlier, Air. Uh, eternal misery, sin, damnation. The opposite is light and the opposite is illumination. Joel, would you reach over to my black bag and just take a look and see if my phone is in there? I would just be kicking myself all the way home if it's in there and I didn't use it. It'd be in the main section. You don't see it? Okay, all right. We'll have to let it go. There must be a dwelling to get to the point of knowing that we gotta have light. Now you would think it'd be the opposite. You would think it would be heading down the trail, right? Heading down the pathway and you can't hardly see. And you don't know when you're gonna trip over a stick or a snake or something, okay? So you don't, you know, you, you would think, okay, you gotta have a flashlight. You better get yourself a light or whatever. But if you just sit, all right? If you just sit and know that that darkness leads to death, that's when the light springs up and sets out for a goal. Okay? These are all parts of the definition. I already gave it to you once. I'm giving it to you again. It was from the very second, that very second, that Jesus began to preach And he began to say, in verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, by the way, this being at hand is a reference to space. Now, when I say space, I'm not talking about outer space. Okay, you hear that Ben I'm not talking about outer space I'm talking about being spatial and I don't mean special I mean spatial okay what I mean by that is to understand that we all exist spatially there's you there's others there's them over here <laughs> these over here there's me we, we, we're in a space, this, in, a, in a sense, this church is a, it's a spatial church. I can't use the joke a second time because it was already not funny, but um, spatial, you know, like a lot of people will call, talk about uh, Leisureville Road, it's Leisureville Road, they have that long A sound in it. And that's what people do with, isn't that spatial? You know, you'll hear people, you know, say it quite that way, you know. And no, I'm talking about that we have space and that we all have areas around us and, oh, I know what they call it, spheres of influence. Each of us has a sphere of influence. You never heard that before. Okay, well, gee, you're spatial. It's a reference to space, okay? In other words, something is here. We're not talking about imagination anymore. When something is spatial, it means it's, it's here. It's in this space and that space and this other space over here. And we're looking at it like, well, here we are, the church, and we're in you know our pews, and we're in space, okay? But once again, I'm not talking about outer space. Although, there might be some of you that are in outer space. (laughs) Anyway. So, it's not a matter of imagining everything our lives through. And I tried to say this from the very beginning. It's a reality. It's not just an imagination. Okay? The kingdom of God is at hand. Praise the Lord. So, Whatever else is going on, we need to forsake those things and be tied to what God is trying to speak, to go his way, to take his steps, okay? Take a look at the end of the story. Well, it's really kind of a continuing story. If you just look at verse 18, in fact, let me take you through to 22, okay? 18 to 22, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, this was right after this, This is right after this and it says, now Jesus begins his ministry and he starts talking about repenting of your sin for the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven as it says, as it calls it here, is at hand. Okay. And and it's the word hand that has that reference to being spatial. Okay, that something is actually here. It's not just being imagined. Okay, hope you see what I'm talking about. Anyway, then it gets even more specific. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, okay? And he saw two brethren, two other Jews, what he's talking about. And by the way, there's another text someplace that actually suggests that they've heard Jesus before that that these disciples that are now being chosen to be disciples have been around and jesus has preached and spoken in groups and so forth and they they know who he is they're not you know clueless so jesus goes down the sea of galilee he's walking on the coast on the beach and he sees two brethren simon called Peter and Andrew his brother and it says specifically that they are casting a net into the sea for they were fishers okay casting a net okay and they straightway left their nets and followed him He could, why? Because he said, if you just follow me, if you'll just take the steps I take further down the beach and go where I go and be where I be, okay, or be where I am, I I will make you fishers of men, okay? And they straightway left their nets and they followed him. That suddenly, all right? And then going on from thence, it says in verse 21, he saw other two brethren, two more guys, okay? Turns out these guys are James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Now this John would become the, obviously a disciple of Jesus, and just a minute he becomes that, okay? But he's also John the gospel writer. So this is not John the Baptist. This is John, James and John. They are the sons of Zebedee, their father. And they're not casting their nets. They're mending their nets. Okay? Mending their nets. And he calls them. And they immediately left the ship. And their father... The father was in the fishing company too, in the ship in the fishing business, and they just laughed. Now he'd have to kind of carry the load, I guess you could say, but they knew they needed Jesus. The light was shining, and they just knew that this Jesus had to be theirs. Okay? And they, they, let, they left everything. They left the ship, they left their father, and they followed him. In other words, they left everything. Okay? They left everything. Now, let's take a look at this for a minute. These two groups that Jesus came up to. There's, you know, Simon Peter, and there's uh, Andrew, his brother. A little further down the beach, that he runs into... Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Alright? Turns out that one group is casting their nets, and the other group is mending their nets, which is something you generally do after you're done casting. And you're done with the fishing. You probably snagged a big twig on the bottom of the or branch on the bottom of the uh, lake. Or uh, a, uh, you, you somehow snagged a, a, a tire. No, no, no. That's modern day, you know. You can snag all kinds of things that are in there, probably now. But, you know, they, but you got caught on something, and so the, your nets got ripped a little bit, and they needed mending. Okay, one crew was casting. The Greek word for this casting is Balo. And I always like this word because it's so obvious what it's talking about. Ballo, it, it sounds like it's talking about taking a ball and throwing it, right? To cast a ball, to be the pitcher, or to get it to the next person, you know, to the second baseman. okay, so you can get somebody out. One crew is casting, and it, casting means to throw with the idea of impulse, Okay? Get it out there! And, and what they did is they took these nets and they had flotation devices on them so that the top part of the net would float and the other part would hang down and they would throw that out and it would cover a pretty... If you've ever seen this happen in a movie or something, it's, they cover a pretty big area with just, you know, the one cast. It's, we think of casting and we think of your rod. You're rod and reel. And what do you do? You get all ready, you push the button, and you cast. Same idea, okay? It's like to throw a ball, okay? To throw with the idea of impulsiveness. No matter how important the rest of life may seem, it doesn't begin to compare to do what Jesus tells you to do. And he's telling them, Cast. I want you to be fishers of men. Okay? Now, the other crew that he ran into further down the beach, they had something else in mind. They were mending their nets. And there's a reason for this. this is, you know, the Bible isn't frivolous. The Bible doesn't just mention stuff because it's, you know, doesn't matter what it is. No, it does matter what it is. That's why the first group was casting. The second group is mending. Both things have to happen. Both things have to be done. Okay? So the other crew has something else in mind. They're mending their nets. They've already cast the nets. They've already been out fishing, and they're pulling their nets in. Okay? And, they're, and they're, uh, they literally have them laid out on the boats on shore, and they're finding the places that are ripped or torn, and they're fixing them. The word mending refers to an adjusting. It refers to a fitting, and thereby a completing and a preparing for the next cast. It's kind of like the way it is with us with fishing. If you get, all, if you get snagged, okay, and your line breaks, it's not going to do any good to reel it in and cast again. If your line broke, you don't have a hook anymore. right. Well, they're not dealing with hooks or anything; they're dealing with nets. But if you don't fix the net, and that's it, you're not going to get anywhere with it. All right. Adjusting, fitting, thereby completing and preparing for the next time. Okay. What was ahead was even more important than this fishing. Okay. Now, the fishing was important. You have to understand that. This was their livelihood. This is what they did. And it turns out that some of these guys actually worked together like in a business. And it's believed that James and John worked with Peter and Andrew. And they had several boats. And, you know... I don't know what they called the company or anything. But they, you know, they would... they were. In business with each other. Remember when the one, uh, all of a sudden they get a whole bunch of fish. It was the time that Jesus had them, had them out and he was out in the boat with them and they pulled in a whole big catch of fish and they pulled it all in. They tried to get them into the boat and what happened? The boat looked like it was going to sink. So what did they do? They called their partners over and it was in Simon's boat to begin with and they called James and John over. So these guys work together. These are not competitors. Okay, they're not competitors. They don't have to, well, well, we better get moving here because they're already mending their nets and then they're gonna cast and, you know, so we gotta, we gotta beat them to the punch. No, 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 they're working together. Praise God, it's a picture of the church, actually. Okay, God was calling both. He calls the impulsive and he calls the planners. The people that know if they snag their nets and you got some rips and the holes are bigger than some of the fish, okay, then you better get the holes fixed. The planners, the impulsive, and the planners—that's the two kind of people there are in the world. The people just you know, run out and, and do something like you know casting, casting. That's a picture of you know casting. We're gonna just run out and gonna do this thing, okay. And then there's the planners that recognize they've got some holes in their net. They fix them up, and then they can cast again. Okay, God wants both kinds. God wants both people. He wants the impulsive, and he wants the planners. Okay, and both are being called to forsake the past. Both are. He, he basically says, you know, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then in verse 21, it says, mending their nets, he called them. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Both groups were called. It's the way it is with all of us. We're all called. All right? So they left everything, we're told. And they followed Jesus. Now I want you to imagine something once again. Imagine. There's a phrase here that it's not in the Bible, but it's a phrase that will help you remember what this section of Scripture is all about. There's the call to constant companionship. It's CCC. Now, I don't know about you, but I know if I were to just write CCC, Next to this, probably within a while, like a few months or a year, I won't for the life of me be able to remember what the CCC stood for. So if, I, if you're going to write this in your margins so you know what's really happening here, you'll, you'll want to use the whole phrase. It's a call to constant companionship. They were being a companion to Jesus when they cast their nets and when they mended them. Okay? Because you have to get ready for the next hall. Even though he's not gonna call them to another hall. He calls them away. Calls them away from the lake, away from the boats, away from their father even in the case of uh, uh, James and John and calls them into being fishers of men. Okay? The call to constant companionship. And when you see the light of the world, when you see that light shining, it's, it's greater than 4,000 lumens. And what do they say a regular light bulb is? Something like 256 or something like that? Lumens? I, I was, you don't hardly find a regular light bulb anymore. They're all, you know, special and they all you know, our LED or whatever, so it's kind of hard to tell. But this thing here that I showed you is far, far brighter. Far brighter. And they even warn you. I didn't see it on the package yet, but I'll bet it's on there. Not to stare at it. Okay? So you put it up in the ceiling. They even tell you, don't put it in a lamp. All right? Now there's another reason why you don't put it in the lamp. You don't want it behind the sh- you want light you don't want it behind the shade that's on a lamp okay and i don't think they get hot these i was on for a couple hours the other day and it wasn't even hardly warm okay well anyway uh god is calling us into this constant companionship okay it's the call to constant companionship when you see the light of the world Everything else is not just darkness, okay? It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's actually deadness. That's what it says. They sat in darkness. They saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And Jesus is that light that sprung up on them. On these guys, he springs up on us too. Praise the Lord. And true life begins with the very next step that you take. Hopefully it's not a step backwards. You take a step forward into the light. And then you're going to be able to see every step and see how to take it. We, mu- we must let him be that light in the midst of not just darkness, but deadness. It's deeper yet, okay? It's deeper yet. And that is when life truly comes alive. Amen? Okay, praise the Lord. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for all your mercy and grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. We look to you and we desire to find our everything, dear God, in you. Because you are calling us to constant companionship. Hallelujah. Oh, not just to go out and gather up a bunch of fish but to go out and gather up people. Give people Jesus. Let him be the light that everybody needs in these dark days and even dead days. We need the light. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us to see that this is a big, big part Of epiphany, letting that light shine so that we can all take the very next step and not trip and fall. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We give you glory, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. All right. Glory be to God. I tell you what, I might do. I might go ahead and just save that. Well, you can look it up. It's it'd be in the paper, but I I want to. Uh, I'll share it next Sunday. I'll plan to bring it next Sunday, and along with next week's ad, we'll go ahead and look at that because this is all tied together. Okay, this is this is going to le- You know, as we move into Matthew in these next few weeks, that's that's. Primarily what we're going to see, that Jesus is the light. Amen? He is the light of the world.